0: John chapter 12, it's unfortunate that Tom's not here because he would have smiled. He likes me to stay in John chapter, well, John, wherever I am, but we're in John chapter 12. We're finishing up the the last week of our Lord's life and the last public ministry of the Lord Jesus in John's gospel uh, was covered last week, and it's with this crowd of people It's in Jerusalem, it's in a festive time of year where there'd be a lot of people there. Jesus was there in Jerusalem in the first century, and he was there during these festive times. There were a lot of people that saw what he did, saw his deeds, and heard what he said, um, listened to his words. And this time, he makes this massive pronouncement in John chapter 12, verses 31 and 32, where he says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This, John says, he said, signifying by what death he would die. Even if you don't know what those words mean, the words that Jesus said there, it probably triggered your mind going, this sounds kind of important right? Now, he says before that, uh, he said, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now my soul is troubled. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself, which if we extend that out, what does that look like? Um, we're here today, because the Son of God incarnate was lifted up from the earth, and the Son of God incarnate is being good on his word. He's building his church. And so, in one sense, we're a fulfillment of those words by Jesus. Now, the crowd was listening. The crowd in that day would be different than our crowd here this morning. Um, They would have been all, well, most of them very steeped in the Old Testament's teaching, at least the teaching of the Old Testament according to their teachers. Because you can see the pushback on this by the people in verse 34. The people answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. And how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Okay, so they're saying, we have religious instruction from the law, whether they, they probably didn't read it themselves. It probably refers to what they got taught that this Messiah, this Christ, this Son of Man, this one who was promised in the Old Testament who would come, we've learned that he's going to live forever. But you're, gonna, you're saying he's going to die. Who is this Son of Man? Who do you think you are and that Son of Man is? Okay, so they're mixed up because they got faulty information. Now, Jesus' answer isn't a direct answer to them He basically says, as long as I'm here, believe on me, because when I'm gone, the darkness is going to come upon uh, uh, you. And then at the end of verse 36, Jesus says, these things, or John says, these things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Interesting words. He says something and he departs. Next time you read through the four gospels, try to remember if you can, how many times that happens where Jesus says something and then he departs. It happens several times. Some of the commentators, when you read them, they say this is an acting, an acting par- parable. And that is he's, just his departure from them should teach us something. What is it? That some form of divine desertion Divine judgment is going to come on these people. Some for the, sort of judicial blinding because they had so much light. And watch what happens in the next verse. Here is John giving some uh, assessment of the widespread unbelief during our Lord's earthly ministry. Verse 37. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not. Believe in him. So, as far as we know, in John's gospel at least, this is the last public ministry of our Lord. John 13, notice how John 13 starts now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come that he should depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then there's this upper room discourse, is what what it's called. It's not a public ministry very private with the disciples who would become the apostles of our Lord. So this is the last public ministry at the end of John 12 there, at the end of uh, verse 36 there. John then gives an assessment, kind of a an assessment of... Can you turn that down a little, please? Or off. It's fine by me. It's not very hot today. Thank you. It's hard using my phone as the... Stop, you know, for the pages there. Where was I? Romans chapter 3. No, John 12. Okay, so John gives this apostolic assessment of the widespread unbelief among our Lord's own kinsmen. He came to his own, but his own did, would not receive him, rejected him, okay? So he gives us this apostolic assessment in verses 37 through 43, of the widespread unbelief. And then it says in verse 44 then Jesus cried out and said, and We don't know where and when he said this. It looks like to me and others, verses 44 through the end are basically John's uh, recapitulation or saying again some of the major claims of our Lord that were not believed by the majority of the Jews. So we have an apostolic assessment of the public ministry of of our Lord, even though he did all these many and great signs, we'll discuss that verse today, uh, they, they didn't believe. Now that sounds like somewhat of a failure, right? He makes all these claims, he does all these deeds, these signs, and the largest, large majority of the people that heard him and saw him did not believe on him. It sounds like he was a failure. Now, you might be sitting here, if you're tracking, you see what I just said. Here he is, the incarnate son of God, claiming to be God the son, the eternal son of the eternal father, assuming flesh, the person assumes flesh and lives his life of righteousness out, suffers in the midst of that living, uh, obeys to the point of death, even death on a cross, raises himself, by the way, on the third day, ascends into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father, but the most of the people that heard and saw him didn't believe in him. It sounds like a failure, doesn't it? Thank you for nodding your head. But just think about this. We're, I don't know, 50 people or so, and we're just here, and we're here under the Grace Reformed Baptist Church name, we have members, we have visitors. We have believers, we probably have unbelievers. How many other buildings on this very day of the week throughout the globe have similar gatherings? A hundred? No. A thousand? No. Maybe millions, right, of congregations in 2023 gathering in the name of Christ sitting under the word of christ that doesn't sound like a failure to me does it sounds like there was maybe a remnant a small group of believers around the messiah and then out of that came us you know so little perspective you know if we're got our blinders on and all we want to look at is jesus ministry we, we might want to say wow failure But he also said this, I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Again, fast forward. It's 2023, and millions of congregations are gathering. Millions and millions of people are gathering on the same day for the same purpose as a ripple effect of Jesus' ministry. So, John's assessment in verse 37 is all we're going to look at today. Let me give you an. Uh, first of all, let me give you an outline of the whole section. That's verse thirty-seven through fifty. In verses thirty-seven through forty-one, John gives an apostolic assessment of widespread Jewish unbelief during our Lord's earthly ministry. Let me read those verses. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. That the word of Isaiah, the prophet might be fulfilled which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report and to whom as the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Isn't that interesting? If John's right, and he is, by the way, he's saying the widespread unbelief of the Jewish people connected to Jesus in the first century is actually taught in the Old Testament. So remember the failure example? It surely looks like a failure What if the Old Testament taught he's going to be be despised and rejected? Some of you know it does teach it in those exact words, I think, in Isaiah 53. What if the Old Testament taught he'd be despised and rejected among men, but a small group would believe upon him, and out of that the gospel would go to the nations of the earth? The Old Testament teaches that as well. So John gives his assessment. In verses 42 and 43, we have this cowardly belief of some of the rulers. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But watch this, because of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they did not confess him, that is Christ, lest they should be put out of the synagogue for, this is the killer here, they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So that's an apostolic assessment that doesn't sound like a good assessment of these believers uh, in Christ. And then he gives an overview of some of our Lord's claims during his earthly ministry in the last section, but section. But we're going to look at verse 37 today. And just verse 37 alone. Uh, if you're a first-time visitor here, by the way, this is sermon number 121 in the Gospel of John. We take our time. Just verse 37, it's a a very important verse. It's an apostolic assessment of the ministry of the Lord Jesus in terms of his deeds, what he did, his miracles, his signs, and the widespread unbelief among his contemporaries. This first section, um, I call John's assessment of this widespread Jewish unbelief Note first that John announces to us Jewish unbelief in light of many signs done before them okay so this is a this is a good message for sign seekers in our day, you know people that seek for signs they want miracles as an end in and of itself that helps them, like the miracle of a billion a million dollars. You have to say a billion now because a million's not not enough uh, put in your bank account because the faith healer, pray for you or whatever. It's usually it's because you send in money. They'll get, you know, you, they'll promise you some sort of trinket, some sort of miracle. Okay, the miracles of our Lord are nothing like that. Like he's not standing out there just passing out miracles and people going, hallelujah. And, okay, that's not what the miracle, there's, that's why it's called a sign here. Okay, so that's the first thing to note in the analysis of verses 37 through 41. John announces to us Jewish unbelief in light of many signs done before them. Then second, John relates the then contemporary widespread unbelief in our Lord to the Old Testament. Okay, so he makes an assessment. He looks at the earthly life of our Lord, the signs that he had done before them, and he says, wow, wow. Widespread Jewish unbelief. Then he says, hmm, the Old Testament said this would happen. So we'll look at that. The Old Testament said this would happen next time, possibly in two weeks, because I think it might take me two weeks just to get through verse 37. So you're saying, well, get to it. Okay, let's get to it. Here's verse 37 again. But although he had done so many signs before them... They did not believe in him. I think this is a startling assertion. I say startling, meaning astonishing and remarkable. This should become clearer, I think, this astonishing remarkableness of this assertion as we work our way through the issues of this verse. For now, note with me the fact that John's statement does not refer exclusively to to the section that precedes it. okay. The section that precedes it had a group of people at the religious center in ancient, Jerus- ancient Israel in Jerusalem. He's not referring just to those people. okay. I think he's referring to the whole scope of the earthly ministry of our Lord as he has revealed it to us in his gospel. It's a more general assessment. It covers the whole time in which Our Lord did signs before the ancient Jews. And note also that John says, but although he had done so many signs before them, it sounds like John's going, this is astonishing to think through. He, is important, had done so many signs before them. Those are the four points of the sermon once I get to that point what that we're going to look at. I think John is astonished. Finally, he concludes, they did not believe in him. It's as if he is saying, given who our Lord was, he had done many signs among them, before them. Given who our Lord was and is, given that he did many signs before them, they ought to have believed, but did not, in fact, Believe you remember one time in Jesus' ministry in John 10, he says, "If you don't believe my word, believe the works, trace the work, the effect, the thing produced, the miracle, back to the divine cause. okay He did that before they he encouraged that by the way, he encouraged that in John 10. by the time you get to uh, Thomas, he says." You believe because you've seen the wounds. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's interesting. Believe me for the work's sake. Blessed are those who have not seen the signs and yet believe. Both things are in the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus. So the fact that our Lord's signs done before them, uh, that's that's what John is Uh, pointing out here. He did many signs before these people, and yet they did not believe. It's very clear in the text. John says he had done so many signs, that's the New King James, before them. Not just a few. Not like Moses, Elijah, and Elisha. If you read the Old Testament, those three guys, there's miracles that are, miracles, signs, around those guys, but nothing like this guy. That didn't sound right. But nothing like our Lord. Um, So let's break this down. First of all, he. He is my first point. My second point is had done. My third point is so many signs. And my fourth point, which we won't get to, is before them. We might get to that. Okay, he, if you look at the Bible, but although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. He identifies the one who had done so many signs. This is none other than our Lord himself, Jesus Christ. Now, good readers of John immediately realize that he, that the he here is the word or son of God, the one who in the beginning was with God, And that word was God. He is also the one who became flesh. I'm just going through the Gospel of John in order, okay? John wrote his Gospel so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the special anointed servant of the Lord according to the Old Testament, the Son of God, the natural Son uh, and eternal Son of the Eternal Father become flesh, and that in believing you would have life in his name. So let's go through... The Gospel of John chronologically just picking out some highlights of who is this he that did all those signs among them and yet they did not believe. He's the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father who has declared to us who God is like none before him and like none after him. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the son of God like no other before or after him. He is him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. He is the son of God, the king of Israel. I'm not even through chapter 1 yet. That's just chapter 1. Who is this he that did so many signs among them and yet was not believed? Uh, Let's go to chapter 2. The one who said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up, speaking of the temple of his body. Now, that is an interesting verse. Here is the man, Christ Jesus, speaking according to his human nature, using lips and lungs and air and all that stuff, and he says, kill me, and I'll raise myself up. It's like, huh? You have a body, you have a soul. How do you raise yourself up? Men can't do that. This person must be more than just very man, right? Only very God raises the dead. He raised himself from the dead. He executed divine power, terminating on his corpse, bringing the human soul back into, and it was reanimated. The one who gives living water, like life-giving water, salvation to weak and feeble souls, which results in everlasting life. Chapter 4, the woman at the well, remember that? This. Remember what he said there? I'll give you the kind of water, you'll never thirst again. You'll get saved, your sins will be forgiven, and you'll go to glory. It's like, this is the one who did all the signs, and yet they didn't believe. The Messiah, or Christ, predicted in the Old Testament. The one whom Moses wrote about, the the true bread from heaven who gives life to the world, the light of the world, the great I am of the Old Testament, the one whose day Abraham rejoiced to see and he saw it and it was, and was glad. We're up to chapter 9 now. The shepherd of God's sheep like none other before or after. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. This is the he who did all those signs among them and yet was not believed. The one who gives his sheep eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Stop there. Some of you know this. Heard the radio guy one day. Nobody can snatch them out of his hand, but you can jump out. It's like, no, nah. no, nah. I don't, I don't think they shall never Perish. What's the hymn? Never, no, never, no, never. forgot the name of that hymn, but it's a great hymn. The one who is at, who is of the same singular essence as God the Father. I and the Father are one. This is the he who did so many signs among them, and yet they did not believe. You can turn that on low, please. Okay, that's chapter 10. How about chapter 11? Who is this he who did so many signs among them? The one who is the resurrection and the life. Now listen, Moses did miracles. Elijah did some. Elisha did less. Some of the disciples during Christ's ministry and after did miracles and made certain claims. Nobody did what he did, though. Okay, nobody identified them. I am, before Abraham was born, I am. Nobody else did that. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who said that also wept over Lazarus' death. Yet said while at his tomb, Lazarus, who's the he who did all those so great signs among them, and yet was not believed? It's the one who said, hey, Lazarus, come forth. And he did. The he of he had done many signs before them is no insignificant person. In fact, we are here this morning, on this day of the week, due to the after effects of his time on the earth. He was promised to come. He came. He did many signs. He suffered and died. He rose. He ascended to heaven. He is reigning, building his church, and he will come again. That's the he, okay? So that that's way different than Moses, Elijah, and Elisha, right? Or the, the, the apostles or other Christians that have, might have been endowed with those temporary sign gifts. He, secondly, had done. This refers to some past deeds of our Lord from the vantage point of the end of his public ministry in John's gospel. You now there's more to the public ministry of our Lord than what John tells us, okay? All the gospel writers were selective. Uh, but in John's account, this is the end of his public ministry. So when it says had done, it's what he had done already. Okay, So doesn't refer to his resurrection, which, by the way, was a huge sign, right? A sign signifying some sort of divine power executed by the incarnate Son of God according to his divine nature on his human nature. That's weird, but great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. We can't parse out all this stuff, but we can... We can parse it out, but we can't necessarily get all the mechanics down and say, oh, I have exhausted the incarnation of the Son of God. I know everything about what Christmas means. Uh, No, but we can get some of it and put it together. He had done these things before his resurrection. He had done these things before his death. He had done these things when his earthly ministry started and up until this time uh, during his earthly ministry. Third, so many signs. He had done so many signs. Now, what are signs? Okay, we usually use the word miracle. I like the word signs better. Uh, So let me try to be brief here. When the preacher says, let me attempt to be brief, you're going, he's not going to be brief. I'm going to attempt to be brief. Okay, I'm going to attempt it. Let's see if I can do this. What is a sign? Okay. Because if you don't know what a sign is, you're going, what are these many signs he did? Uh, Signs in John's gospel refers to deeds, something done by our Lord, which attest to his identity, who he is, and thus the veracity, the truthfulness, of his teaching or doctrines, his claims. A sign is a deed done that signifies something about the one who performed the deed. To attest means to provide clear evidence of something. We often call these signs miracles, signs done by our Lord, pointed to something other than the thing done as an end in and of itself. Okay? So these signs, these miracles, aren't just like freebie gifts. Here, take this, take this, take this, take this. Aren't I great? Be happy. Your best life now. Okay? By the way, all the, the several people that Jesus raised from the dead during his earthly ministry, as far as we know, died. Died. And they'll be raised from the dead in the future and in her glory. I like the word sign better than miracle for at least this reason. A sign in the context of this discussion in John's gospel is something done by our Lord which signifies something other than the thing done itself. Okay, so it's not just Jesus wowing the crowds. Watch me pull another rabbit out of my hat. What's the next line? Again, that trick never works. Anyway, it's an old cartoon. Hey, Rock, watch me pull a rabbit out of my head. It's not like Jesus is doing that, okay? That's kind of the way, if you wa- don't watch it, but if you have in the past, watch the shenanigans on, on the TV, that's kind of how they do it. Watch this, watch this, watch this. But signs done by our Lord point to something, they signify something, they provide clear evidence of something, and the question is, okay, what do these signs signify? Two texts in John's gospel help us answer that question. Listen in John 3.2. This is Nicodemus. This man, Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Now watch what he says. For no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Remember that? Remember that? God with us in the Gospel of Matthew, I think it is. Nobody can do these things, so they're watching the deeds, and they're going, effect, trace it back, the cause has to be God. Sign signifying that God is at work, that God is doing something. And in John 20, 30 and 31 says this, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these that are written in this book are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So the signs John includes in his gospel are not all the signs Jesus did. excuse me, and are included so as to prove his identity, who he is, and confirm the veracity, the truthfulness of his claims. So the signs point back of the signs to God, whose divine power is the divine cause of the signs. So what was that question? I forgot. What are Signs? Yeah, what are signs? So many signs. Second question about signs, what signs is John talking about? Well, at least the ones he wrote about in his gospel, but probably to others as well, because Jesus did more signs than John records. Third question, what signs did John include in his gospel to this point? Okay, so we're reading the gospel from John one. we We're at John 12.37. We have a lot of information so far. We have all the public signs. I think there's six of them. There might be... Oh, the seventh one is probably the resurrection. There's major signs that John includes in his, in his rehearsing of the life and ministry of our Lord. So what signs did John include in his gospel to this point? Okay, Because the verse in John 12 says... But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. So let's look at the kind of signs that John's talking about, the ones he included in his gospel. And here's what you're going to find. If you're going, yeah, but Moses, yeah, but Elijah, yeah, but Elisha, and yeah, but the disciples or apostles and other Christians, they all did miracles, not like Jesus, okay? Okay. And I'm going to borrow a 19th century Scottish Presbyterian's comments on this. He says, in curing diseases, he, I want you to think about the faith healers you've seen. In curing diseases, actually, I don't want you to think about them. I want you to think about what Jesus did. Sorry about that. He healed in a moment the most inveterate, that is the very unlikely to change chronic distempers, and he restored the patient to perfect health. He not only restored sight instantaneously to those who had lost it, but he gave it to those who had never possessed it. By the way, this is all instantaneous. He not only converted water into wine, but he did so in large quantity. When he fed the hungry by miraculously multiplying a few loaves and fishes, it was by thousands. When he controlled the elements, it was when they were in the very height of tumultuous agitation and the effect was instant as well as complete. Immediately, there was a great calm. You remember the winds and the waves and the fear of the disciples? Hush. Be still. Even the winds... And the waves obeyed him. So go to the TV and ask the faith healer, can you, like, just cause some winds to stop and some waves to just mellow out? No. You know, you've heard this before. Why don't they just go into hospitals? Please, go do it the purpose for miracles in the life and ministry of our Lord was to attest to the divinity of our Lord, executing divine power. Some people say, well, miracles are acts that go above and beyond the laws of nature. Well, okay, in one sense, yes. But he's not going against nature here. It's not like he's doing something against nature. He's doing things for nature, right? He's helping mangled people realize, not that he's just tossing out freebies, but that one day their restored state is going to be their permanent state. Okay, What miracles in one sense do, they not only are signs that signify God is at work, in Jesus, but they also are a prelude to what Jesus is going to do with the resurrection for all his people, put us in a permanent state. Some of you know a friend of mine, Ed, Ed Romine. Remember, he was there in his wheelchair. Ed has cerebral palsy. Ed's going to be preaching here, by the way, in, God willing, in November, uh, I think it's November, November. why was I talking about it? Oh, somebody asked him one time. They said, you know, so you've been, you've had this since birth. He says, yes. He goes, do you ever like get mad or feel sad or clench your fist at God? And he says, no, for two reasons. Number one, I have no idea what it's like to be normal. This is all I know. And number two, I'm going to be in glory someday. So I'll know it. I'll know it then. I mean, the miracles are a prelude to a resurrection of the just and the renovation of our bodies along with our souls. The winds and the waves obeyed him. When he broke the bands of death, he not only, as in the case of Jairus' daughter, called back the spirit which had just departed, but he reanimated the son of the widow of Nain when they were carrying him to his grave. And he called forth Lazarus after having lain four days in the tomb. Okay, so those are the ones that he includes in the gospel. It's like, all right, he had done so many signs like no one else ever or, or since, okay? This is not like weird things happening in a jungle in Africa, you know, 40 years ago that only two people, by the way, saw. This is exclusively unique. These kinds of things never happened on the face of the earth and won't happen again. Now, what's unique about these signs done by our Lord? Someone Uh, might be thinking, I already said this, you know, Moses, Elijah, Elisha, the disciples during and after, they did miracles, yes, but those things done through Moses and others were not like what our Lord did while on earth. John tells us at the end of his gospel that there also, there are also many other things that Jesus did, which If they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. That's the last verse in the gospel. John, he says, oh, by the way, I've only included six or seven of these signs, but there's so many that he did that I, it's hyperbole. The the world couldn't even contain all the books if we said everything that Jesus did. Okay, so Moses, a concentration of miracles. Elijah, a smaller concentration of miracles. Elisha, a smaller concentration than Elijah. Our Lord, massive concentration of miracles. The disciples, smaller concentration, and then they just kind of fizzle out because even the signs that they did were signifying, attesting to the veracity of the Lord's claims. So... The number and the kind of signs our Lord did far outweighs those done by others in Bible times. That 19th century Scottish Presbyterian says, the miracles of our Lord were as remarkable for their multitude as for their magnitude. For their number, how many he did, and for their nature, what he did. They were far more numerous than all the miracles of all the prophets, he says. Probably leaning on that commentary at the end of John's Gospel. If We said everything he did. The world couldn't even contain all the books. Far more numerous than all the miracles of all the prophets. The magnitude of what he did far exceeded all that the others did. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to to them, Loose him and let him go. People saw that. These signs are like none before and none after, okay? He had done so many signs before them, fourth point. Before means in front of or in the presence of. These things weren't done uh, in a closet. These things were done publicly. Often, Jesus' public ministry of speaking and performing these signs was done during one of the three festive times of the year when Jerusalem went from about 100,000 to some say triple, quadruple, and even more people three times a year. Done, a lot of people saw what was going on. It's why the Pharisees and the religious leaders had information a lot. It's not that they were personally traveling around following Jesus, doing what he did and saying what he said in just a among five people, okay? He did it so everybody could see at times. Thousands saw him do these things. He did it before them. He did it in their presence. First century Jews witnessed at least some of our Lord's earthly ministry, which included words spoken and deeds accomplished. So John is asserting that the signs he's referring to were done in public, in the presence of many. And notice his conclusion, his concluding assertion, in light of Jesus' many signs before them. It comes in these words, they did not believe in him. It's like, wait a minute, they need to hear Barcellus's sermon. He had done many signs. Don't you know who the he is? They didn't believe him to be who he claimed to be. Now, some did, as we know, but most didn't. They did not believe in him. This is not merely John's personal opinion. Um, It's not debatable. The son of God incarnate was not believed by most of the people in the first century who witnessed his signs and heard many of his words. That's just a fact. John is just stating facts. So let me read our text again. John 12, 37. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. Now, you might be sitting here going, man, dummies, or whatever. Or this one, if I were there, it would have been different. If I saw these kinds of things, I would use my cranial powers and I would argue from the effect back to the cause and I would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I think a lot of people think that way. If I could just see a miracle, I'd believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Guess who said that? Jesus So don't sit here going, huh, if I was there, I would have believed. Since I wasn't there and haven't seen the miracles, I'm not going to believe. It's like, no, you can't go that route either. Or look down your nose at these people. Ha! If we, in the 21st century, were back there, since we're smarter than people from back there, aren't we? We we got phones. It's called a smartphone for a reason because we're smart people compared to all the dummies that have li- lived before us, right? We're the smartest generation ever. No, not you, Samuel. With some exceptions. That's kind of our idea, chronological snobbery, you know, C.S. Lewis called it. We, we, we put it ourselves in the 21st century back then, look down at our noses and say... You dummies. Okay, well, let's come back to reality in the 21st century. You called them dummies for not believing in Christ and obeying his word. Do you believe in Christ and obey his word? Do you do what he says out of love for him because he saved you? Because that's what you're saying they should have done. They didn't do it, and you're kind of scoffing them. So can I scoff at you? Can I ask for hands? Don't raise your hands. How many people are doing that right now? Scoffing at these people? What, you dummies? This is God incarnate. Don't you know anything about Christmas? And he raised himself from the dead. Don't you know anything about Easter? Come on. You should have believed. And yet you don't believe. Something's wrong with that equation, right? Very wrong. If they should have believed, then you should believe. Because the signs are signifying God with us is doing things like never before. It's one thing for God to do something through a prophet. It's another thing for the word to become flesh and perform signs. The incarnation, the word becoming flesh, is what Christianity is all about. And so he had done so great are many signs before them, yet they did not believe. Don't let that be true of you. He already The signs aren't before you in terms of you're physically there watching, but they're recorded for us here. And they signify what they signified then. They signify that now. So don't let the day pass with you mocking those who didn't believe, and yet you don't believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. And if you've never made a public profession of that faith, come and talk to me. Come and talk tomorrow. Talk to anyone in our church, and we'll try to help you in what to do next. Well, with that, I'm going to pray. Sean will lead us in a hymn. And... uh, the Gloria Patri, and then a benediction, and I'll give you instructions after that. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the Gospel of John. We thank you for how it records these various signs, signifying that that the Word had become, that it had indeed become flesh and dwelt among us. That many back then beheld His glory, glory as of the Only Begotten of the Father. We don't have to know everything there is to know in the Bible to be saved. We need to know Christ, the Son of God incarnate, the eternal Son of the eternal Father, who, Father and Son, breathe out the Spirit upon us. Please cause your word to take root in all of our souls, do things in us by virtue of Word and spirit, we ask for your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.